Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. Good morning. Um, Jared has a special talent there. That is a gift. That is a calling. Happy Father's Day, first of all, to all the fathers out there. And um, if you came here today hoping to hear a message from one of our three internationally famous pastors, um, today's not the day. And if you came here today expecting some really intellectually stimulating or a deep theological message, um, today's not your day. But if you came here today for a fun, lighthearted message, Father's Day message in luck. I hope this is kind of kind of fun. Almost every time that um, uh, I have to teach or I have to speak or I'm leaving for the mission field, there's warfare. And this week was no different. And we like to weigh our warfare against the value of the message. And so it's been pretty spectacular, the warfare. And I just want to show you or share with you a few lowlights of what's happened to us this week. Um, to Teresa and I, uh, we have this alarm system. Every time a door or window opens, it goes beep, beep, beep. And throughout the week, I'd sit down to try and get some thoughts together. And as soon as I'd start typing something, I, I would hear these beep, beep, beep. And it was annoying, it was crazy, it was driving me nuts, and it's just warfare. But um, Wednesday night, Teresa comes home from Bible study, and she comes to my office and she says, uh, you know, it's kind of creepy that you're watching me pulling the driveway from the upstairs window, from the blind, and like, what are you talking about? I've been downstairs for hours, and, and I watched the color drain from her face. And her eyes get real big, and, and uh, we're like, what is going on? Somebody's in the house, and the first thing I'm thinking, I'm mad at the dog. You know, we got this 110-pound German shepherd who hasn't said anything but, you know, snored. Uh, and so I'm mad at the dog. So we grab a weapon, and, and we're clearing the house, and we start in the attic, and we're, you know, clear. And then there's the bedroom, and it's clear. And, downstairs and it's clear and we go out in the shop and everything's clear and it was nothing. It was absolutely nothing. It was just warfare. And then Thursday morning, I got Thursday plugged in as my day to start working on this message and uh, uh, I got three screens in my office and I've got uh, one open to AutoCAD, I've got one open to uh, email because I've got to write some hate mail today and I've got one open to a Word document. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to multitask, you know, and Teresa walks in, it's like 11, 11.30 in the morning, she's supposed to be at work. And she says, um, I tested positive for COVID and you and uh, or she's um, off work to at least Tuesday and so if she's exposed, I'm exposed. And we're in total panic mode, you know, and I'm thinking of all the people I've uh, talked to and had close contact with and letting Pastor Fran know, plan B, baby, because I don't think I'm going to be here. And uh, later that afternoon, she gets, Tracy gets a call from the uh, HR department, and it was a, um, Claire, Claire, is that fair to say? Yeah. 
Yeah, basically a clerical error. Yeah, so um, we had canceled and notified all these people and, and had done all this stuff. And um, it's just it's just warfare. It's just uh, the way it goes. But uh, we're here today. We made it. We're here today to honor Father God and fathers and grandfathers and spiritual fathers and stepfathers and adopted fathers. And we even want to honor single moms who have to be both mother and father. And any person who's invested in your life as a father would, whether it be a spiritual leader or a teacher or a protector, a provider or a comforter or encourager, it just doesn't matter. Today, we honor them. And a couple of definitions of Father's Day that go along with what Jared was talking about um, that I like. It's just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much. <laughs> and another definition. <laughs> <laughs> you keep laughing, I'm not going to get through this. Uh, another definition of a father is a man who carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. And that is, that is fact. But what would be a sermon for me without a quote from Paul Harvey, okay? Definition of a father. A father is a thing that's forced to endure childbirth without an anesthetic. A father never feels worthy of the worship in the child's eyes. He's never quite the hero his daughter thinks, and he's never quite the man his son believes him to be. And this worries him sometimes. So he works really hard to smooth out the rough places for the road for those who own and who will follow him. And I can relate to this last part. Fathers are what give daughters away to other men who aren't nearly good enough so they can have grandchildren who are much, much smarter than anyone else's kids. Perfect explanation. So you can't debate the value of a father figure in a child's life. I'm going to throw some statistics at you are kind of um, concerning. These are statistics for a fatherless home or a father figure not being in a home, okay? High school dropouts, 71%. Youth suicides, 63%. Runaways, 90%. 74% of children in chemical abuse centers. 70% of youth in institutions and 61% of adult inmates. 85% of youth inmates and 21% of inmates in prison have a father who's also in prison. And the number that just astounds me is 71% of pregnant teenagers don't have a father in the home. Fatherless daughters, four times as likely to have trust and self-esteem issues. And as you get older, you see these things come to fruition in many ways. And the, been involved with CASA for many years as a court-appointed advocate for abused children. And one of the things they tell you at your orientation is, her kids grew up to her kids. And abused kids grow up to abused kids. And we've been at it long enough where kids that we were involved in have made that come true. And so it's, um, it's always been touching to me when uh, 
I see the name of a kid who I knew as a child when I see him in the paper um, uh, for something that he's done. And it's heartbreaking. It just reinforces the need of having a father or a father figure in the family. Um, I've been like really lenient on my changing of slides. Um, I am on. Something isn't working. So we want to go to slide five, Inch, please. So I'm just going to go on and you can figure that out, okay? If you can get me to slide five, that would be great. Uh, so I've been to a few orphanages, and um, the one thing about orphanages is when you walk in and there isn't a, a father or a male presence in those places, the first thing these kids do, within the first minute, they, they come to you, they're holding on to you, they feel safe when they're touching you, they're holding your hands, or touching your face, they're feeling the hair on your arms, and they're just, they, they want to be close. And I've got some great pictures. Um, I'm not sure why it's... Is Jerry around? Warfare, this is what this is. Oh, there, there we go. All right, what'd you do? Turn it on. He did it! There we go. Up. That's what he did. All right, it's Jerry's presence. Jerry's presence. Yes. So you walk into an orphanage, this is like one minute after walking into an orphanage in Kajak Mel, and these kids are surrounding you, they're grabbing onto you, they're holding you. And if you sit down for a second, this is what happens. These kids are just starved for a, a, a male. Um, a male's affection and attention. This is what happens, okay? And if you um, if you ever notice that when you see missionaries in the mission field, they're hardly ever sitting down. And the reason for that is simple. It's this, because there's no such thing as personal space in Northridge, because kids just want to be close to you. They want to sit on your lap. And this is what happens if you bend down to put... Um, sunscreen on your leg, okay? You, you're suddenly surrounded by a group of kids and it just reinforces the need of a father figure in a family. Expounding that a little bit further, um, we've unfortunately had to bury two kids who uh, took their own life because of something their father did or uh, an absent father. And uh, it can be heartbreaking. It can be heartbreaking. And I have a, a, a video here. This is going to be interesting to see if it works. That um, really reinforces what we're trying to communicate here today. So I'm going to flick the slide, and Jerry's going to start this video for me. Okay, Jerry? Make it happen there.
you played earlier. Okay, well, I'm bummed. It's a pretty incredible video, and it's a rap poem, and it, it would fit in perfectly with Jared's um, redneck uh, interpretation. But um, did you say hang on? Okay. an opportunity to raise a child, take hold, do not fold, do not run, for you can be everything to a beautiful daughter, a beautiful son. You can be the holder of all answers. One, why daddy? Followed by a hundred more. And you will have patience and answers for a hundred more. And never bore, but soar with glowing pride. Proud of the thought evoked in this little mind, an endless unconditional love you thought you'd never find. You can be a father. You can be the crutch that never breaks, the friend that never flakes, the man who always waits, the best date, the living essence in someone's eyes of great. Consider a real chance at changing this world through a little boy or a little girl and they will give you unmatched motivation and willful fury that will outbox and outmatch all the endless worry they bring. They bring so much. They bring joyful hearts when we watch them sleep. They bring painful hurt when we see them weep. They bring endless opportunity to model and teach. They bring us a calling to influence the one soul always in reach, a calling to leave a legacy. Now they say inheritance is what you leave for your kids, but a legacy is what you instill and leave in your kids. So to the dads already building their legacy, to the dads who forgive, who teach, who love, who model respect and compassion, the dads who live their words through their actions, to the dads who play dress up and tea party, who wrestle and race and always lose. The dads who choose daddy-daughter dances over friends and booze. The dads whose kids want nothing more but to walk in their shoes. To the dads who can handle a hairbrush and stop monsters right in the track. To the dads whose daughters rather talk to them and check their Snapchat. Thank you. Thanks to you, Dee, for always believing in me and supporting me. Thank you to my Heavenly Father for teaching the ultimate love and sacrifice for us all to see. And Happy Father's Day to all the men building the legacy. You guys like that? Yeah. Yeah, good, good. I've had a lot of father figures in my life. And the problem was is that uh, I didn't know what they had done or the brilliance of their um, investment in me until I got a little bit later or a little bit older. 
uh, people invested me and they uh, nurtured me and taught and protected and implanted wisdom and they invested in my faith and they mended and defended and tended to me. My earliest memory of my dad is uh, he worked afternoons at General Motors and we lived in Michigan, we grew up in Michigan. And if we didn't drive our mom crazy on Friday night, she'd let us stay up until he got home at midnight. And we'd hide in the closet, the coat closet, just inside the front door, and he'd walk in. And my job was to get him by the knees, to tap him by the knees. And I always remember when he'd open that door, his face would be so tired, he was exhausted from work. And I usually tried to imitate one of three people as I ran for his knees. I was either a, a sheet over my head, and I was the Iron Sheik, the great wrestler, or I was Pampiro Furpo, or sometimes I would bang my chest and I'd be Bobo Brazil and I'd come flying out of that closet and tackle him by the knees. And, and down we go in the, the living room. My dad wasn't an affectionate person. Uh, I think my first hug came in my 30s, but he loved to wrestle with us. And, We'd be on the floor wrestling, and it only took me a minute to pin him and claim my victory. And what I loved, what I always remember is that that tired look had gone away, and it was a smile, and it was a happy smile, and I never forget that. My dad was a, a, a really good spiritual leader in many ways. Um, he was also a provider. But when we think of legacy, Outside of your biological father, there's always other people in your life who are investing in you. And this gentleman had the perfect definition of a legacy. And my grandpa Williams was not my grandpa, he was my step-grandpa, and he married my grandma when my mom was 10. And I could never understand why a guy in his early 20s would marry a woman with five kids. Um, all of them girls, you know, it's just like a, a, a glutton for punishment, but that's the kind of guy he was. He was this incredible man who took wonderful care of me. And he used to tell me, the measure of a man is how he treats those who can't do anything for him. Remember that from my youth. I still remember him saying that. And he loved Perry Mason, and he loved talking about Perry Mason and finance and uh, principle. Well, he was in finance. If you said, Grandpa Williams, what do you do for a living? He says, well, I'm in finance, but the truth of the matter is, is that it was illegal finance. Um, he wasn't a bookie or anything like that, but he loaned small amounts of money to very poor people at very high interest rates. And um, he loved talking to me about principal and interest in stocks and dividends and interest rates, and he'd sign loans, he'd co-sign loans for me so I could buy things to try and kill myself, like motorcycles and fast cars. And his logic was brilliant, although I didn't realize it for many years. Once a month, I'd have to go to River Rouge Savings and make a payment, and he'd meet me, and we'd go get White Castle burgers. Anybody had White Castle burgers? Yeah. Yeah. Terrible stuff. Uh, yeah. But they're good. They taste good. And we sit in the park, and it was really important to my grandpa for me to understand what this loan was and what the principal left on it was and what the interest was. And that's just what he instilled in me. 
And he talked about compassion in his business and honor and kindness, or kindness and honesty. And he used to make sure I knew how blessed I was as a child. And he used to drive this old Rambler, and I know he made a decent living, and he'd live in this mediocre house. And I said, Grandpa, Grandpa, why aren't you driving a caddy? I'm living in the, you know, the McMansion. And he says, I'm a sucker for a sob story. But the bottom line was that he was a compassionate man, and I appreciate what he instilled in me. And I had a neighbor, I call him Mr. D. He was the second half of the most important commandment. Um, it's Mark, Luke, and Matthew all communicate that the most important commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second half is love your neighbors yourself. And this guy was exemplary. Um, if you uh, got in a car wreck and you... Um, we're street racing and the front end of your car is stuck on a guardrail and you wanted to get that car off there before the popo showed up. Who do you call? You call Mr. D. He was the man for everything and not just to me and my family but the entire neighborhood. He was a spiritual leader and every once in a while he would invite us over for dinner and it was total chaos because like at my house, I mean, when it was dinner time and we ate together, which wasn't often, it was pigs in the trough, man. It was just pigs in the trough. The bowls hit the table and we went for it. You know, it was like a, um, uh, a bunch of people in a mosh pit at a punk rock concert. I mean, we were just <laughs> almost uncivilized. But when we go to Mr. D's house, he would, um, it was like going to a symphony. You know, everything was so well coordinated. and. He would pray before meals, and, and uh, I used to judge his prayers on how many times I had to wipe my mouth for the drool while I was waiting for him to finish. But he loved a long prayer before the meal, and then he'd do something that I never understood until I was much older. He would take and he'd put food on my plate, put food on my plate. And I always thought that he was doing that because he didn't want me to take all the food and leave none for his six kids and his wife. But that wasn't the case. What this man was doing is he was serving me. He was serving me. And now that I think about those days, it humbles me, that man's heart. I gotta get a drink here. I had a teacher in school. His name was Mr. Kroll. And this guy spent countless hours with me teaching me geometry and trig and construction and carpentry and tolerances and drafting and aesthetics and design and what he taught me I still use every day to this day. And if you are going to receive wisdom from this guy, he was adamant that you would hear spiritual wisdom too. And he was always, always referencing something regarding to faith in his messages. And I'm so grateful for that. There's many other. And so when I was preparing this message, I'm realizing, just as the video says, I'm a byproduct of their legacy. I'm their fruit. I'm their dividend. And I'm going to share a testimony 
uh, a short testimony here, and then I'm going to give you guys, or girls, and you girls, an opportunity to share a testimony about a father, a stepfather, or someone who had a spiritual influence in your life. But um, I'll give, give you a moment to think about it while I share mine. And this has to do with my grandpa Williams, okay? About every three weeks, he'd come over for dinner. And uh, my mom obviously loved him, and she would cook spaghetti. And she would cook hillbilly green beans and hillbilly coffee. If you want to know what that is, I'll tell you after the service. But, um, and he loved it. And we were sitting there having our, our dinner, and we got done, and our bellies full, and the plates were empty, and, and my grandfather was a jumper. Think of Red Fox, Sanford and Son. He was a jumper. And he'd bring this stuff over to our house, and he'd ask if we could fix it. Could we do anything with it? You know, most of the time, it was no. And we threw it in the garbage, and sometimes it was yes. And he pulled out this toaster that looked almost brand new. And it was one of those kind that had the wings on it that opened to the side. And he pulled it out, and he says, do you think you can uh, put a cord on this? I think that's all it needs. I can sell this. And my dad says something like, yeah, and he opened it up. And he opened up one of those wings. A bunch of cockroaches come running out of that toaster. It was crazy. It was crazy. My mom screamed, and my dad's eyes are about this big. I can't breathe. My grandpa gets up. And it's bam, 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 bam. He's smacking these things. <laughs> They're running around the table and boom, boom. He gets done and he he's gets done. He's looking around and make sure he got them all. And there's like total silence. And he takes his hands and he goes, <laughs> takes his imaginary six shooters, and he spins them a couple times, and he puts them in his imaginary holsters. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, yeah, still got it. No <laughs> no Just fact. And needless to say, uh, Grandpa was never allowed to bring anything over uh, to our house again to be fixed. Uh, that was the end of that. But I, I couldn't stop laughing. And if it wasn't for the dust there, the dark Vader dust there from my dad, I would still be laughing. But for at least a decade after that, I could not talk, say the word toaster or toast in front of my grandpa without us just busting in the laughter. And that's my testimony of my, my grandfather, who meant the world to me. And this is, this is your time. This is your time. Who wants to share a testimony of their dad, or maybe a spiritual leader or a stepfather? Fun. All right, buddy. You want a mic? Yeah, I'll do a mic. There you go. Yeah, with well, my dad and everything, he had been a great man and everything. Especially, like, I just, like, at, at times had no idea how much he felt about me and everything. Especially when I was going through my whole medical fiasco, when, like, we had no idea what was going on. And then, like, I was in the hospital, we finally found out what was going on inside, then managed to get to the hospital, we trusted and everything, no one said they could do it, but we didn't trust them. 
Peter Nong got there. Mom told him to get your butt down here now. He managed to get there in time. And when I went out, when I was put into ICU because of what had happened, and I was rolled off the surgery, I had found out that my dad, he went to the parking garage, which was on Parnassus, where patients could park and employees just pay for how much time to spend there. He usually there just crying his eyes out because like, I was almost near death and everything. I was almost like going up to heaven and everything. It's like parking attendants and security, when they were seeing him and explaining what was going on, instead of telling him, sorry, can't smoke here, they just let him be and everything. After hearing that, like, wow, like, that was really hard and touching and everything. And another good time having with my father and everything. This was during the early days of the pandemic before the vaccines were even out. Like, my mom has to stay home because of getting her radiation treatments all the time. Dad and I came down to San Francisco. It was really great and everything, just spending some time with my dad and everything. And also finding out, same time we were down there, they were making a movie at the fort and uh, the city and everything. I went, no, no, hold on, just get a quick little clip and everything to show my mom and everything. But all of that, it was still really good and everything, just to be with my father and everything. And just to have a good time with him and everything, just to be father and son thing. And with that whole thing with him showing those emotions, I really, he doesn't show, but it was really heckin' nice to see on how really much he felt about me and everything. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, who's next? Who do I got next? So a lot of you guys know my dad, and <laughs> so my dad chose to be my dad. When I was 10, he got this fabulousness, and I was the oldest of six kids and really super easy to raise. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> So no, for you guys, <laughs> I had so many stories. I called him today to wish him a happy Father's Day, and I was like, Dad, I have to tell a story about you in church, because Hondo prepped me. And I go, dude, I'm thinking about talking about this. And he just laughed. He's like, oh my gosh. So for you guys who don't know my dad, he's a dairyman which means my growing up years, he was up at 3.30 out milking cows, like outside milking cows, manure, working all day, getting in late. And he's very frugal and there were four girls. And so, you know, we had proms and stuff. And my senior year, I wanted a new dress for the Christmas prom. And I know some of you guys are old enough Kelly, <laughs> to Teresa, to remember gunny sack dresses. Okay, so for the you guys that don't know them, they're like ruffle after ruffle after ruffle, <laughs> right? Well, I wanted this gunny sack dress, and my dad was like, "No way, that is way too expensive. We can make one." <laughs> like my dad are gonna make. A dress. So he sends me to the to the fabric store, and I buy a gunny sack pattern and striped fabric. 
And if you sew, you know you can't match stripes. I mean, that's like the hardest thing ever. And we proceeded to lay that fabric out on the kitchen floor and he's in his work clothes and it's late at night and we we cut that dress out and then we took it to my aunt Jeannie who said I can't fix this so my aunt Debbie did <laughs> but just my dad's just a cool dude you know he Frank knows yeah. absolutely yeah but that's like a really one of my favorite memories of him Anybody else want to share a testimony with your dad? Father figure, spiritual figure, spiritual father figure, anybody? Ooh, I have a victim. <laughs> so the sound goes down your upper arm. Given our sound system. Here we go. Yellow. Hello. Hello. Hey. So my dad worked real hard growing up, 12, 14 hour days. And uh, so he'd leave at like four in the morning, get back at seven at night, eat his dinner, basically straight to bed. But he'd always make time to play rummy with me. I know he's missed a lot. So wanted to tell you thanks. Anybody else? Do we have one more? Oh, Linda. <laughs> Well, I, this is about my son. You know, my daughter, uh, her daddy died when she was nine years old. And so he was seven years older. And he became that daddy figure to this little nine-year-old. And so I watched him be a dad before he became a dad at 19. And so um, I remember one time she was getting ready for the prom. And, and... He wanted to protect her. And so he went into the bedroom. He said, Mom, you have to leave. I'm going to tell Melody some things that she needs to know, but you don't need to know. <laughs> so he went in there, and he told her all about the guys and girls stuff. <laughs> and, and everybody came out crying. <laughs> but it was so touching to me that my son would take that fatherly role as a young man he was probably 18 19 right there and it was just delightful uh, you know you don't have to be a dad to be engaged and focused and committed and determined to involve yourself in, in a child's life nice would you like to share something yeah come on up I, i'm sorry Can i don't I... make a name my name's Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Hey, my name's Sarah. Um, I just wanted to say something about my dad. I'm trying to think of like my best memories of him. He's in the hospital right now. He's not doing too well. But my dad had four girls, and I'm the second. And um, I think he always wanted a boy. <laughs> he never got his boy, but I was kind of like the boy when I was a kid. <laughs> I was the tomboy, so. I went on all the hunting trips and all the, you know, guy stuff, I guess. <laughs> and I just remember this one time we, w we were going to stay at this old train stop in Island Mountain. And I went with my boy cousin who was like a year older than me. He was kind of the boy, but I was braver than him. <laughs> and so someone had broke into the place where we were supposed to stay. It, like the lights were on or everything was broken. And I was about like six and my cousin... Well, I'm like, yeah, six, my cousin probably like seven. 
my dad's like, oh no, someone broke in there. You know, there's nobody around though. It's like in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, dad, let me go in first, please. Dad, please. You know, and he's like, okay, you can go in first. And so him and my, my cousin was all, oh my God. He was, excuse me, but he was so scared. And so my dad stood back and let me go in there first. And he didn't, he wasn't right behind me, he was back there with my cousin crying. And I was just like, oh. I thought it was so exciting and I got to go in there and check it out and nobody was there, maybe a couple rats, but, but the fact that he allowed me to have that little bit of freedom and just what he taught me, being able to like run around the woods by myself, it just gave me like a confidence. And I think, I don't think I was unsafe. I feel like God was with me. And I knew that, and I just am thankful to him for that, that I didn't have some helicopter parent, like, <laughs> like scared of everything. I don't think I would be the person I am today, or I'd have to, like, try so hard to get over that. So, just thankful to my dad for that. <laughs> Thank you, Who's next? Who's next? Jared, you got a hillbilly testimony? <laughs> It's not a hillbilly testimony. It's got to be a hillbilly testimony, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, why not? It's been a while since I've been up on this stage. Uh, yeah, the father figures, the spiritual leaders, I can't even count how many of them I've had. I mean, there's half a dozen of them in this room right now already, you know, and however many countless more around here. But, uh, my dad, father, the my main spiritual leader, my main, you know, everything. It's been really cool being, and this is his words, from going from father to son when I was a boy, little boy, to him being my dad and everything, to me growing up and him being not just father, son, but being brothers in Christ. And then in that teaching my son, who's three now, he's this many, as he'll tell you. <laughs> Um, is just super awesome to be able to instill all the things that he taught me at that age to my kid at that age and then just have him say he's to have a dad say he's proud of you yeah. is by far the most amazing heartfelt thing ever yeah. you know I mean even God said that to Jesus is my son in whom I'm well pleased you know so to be well pleased in anybody that you are in a realm of influence over whether it's your you know blood son a niece a nephew a family friend the neighborhood kid down the street that you can be proud of is one thing that will help that kid grow up and want to continue to make other men in his life proud other spiritual leaders in their life proud to be continually good and great and following christ it's just one of the most things. So if you ever have a chance to tell a kid when they do something good that you are proud of them, please do it. It is one of the most amazing feelings a kid can ever have. So. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Well, I think I'll put this away. And... Thank you all who shared today. That was pretty incredible. And Jerry, come on up whenever you're ready. Uh, and in closing, 
often I'm asked to explain what a spiritual father is. And this is basically the whole point of why I'm up here today. What's, what's the spiritual father? What does he look like? What does he do? And I always like to think of Barnabas. Barnabas is just, his story, his legacy just intrigues me. There's this guy named Saul who's running around, he's killing Christians, and he has this conversion on the road to Damascus, and he becomes Paul. Who's the guy who stepped up and went to Paul and wanted to be his spiritual father? It's Barnabas, man. It's Barnabas. The rest didn't want anything to do with him. They didn't believe him. They didn't trust him. And so Barnabas spends all this time with Paul, and they plant churches, and, and he is Paul's spiritual father. And eventually they get to the point where they're going to go and check out some churches that they planted. And you've got two alpha males now. And Paul and Barnabas have this big fight. They have this knockdown drag out about a young man. Does anybody know that young man's name? Timothy, wasn't it? Hmm? Wasn't it Timothy? No, it wasn't Timothy. John Mark. There we go. This, this young man named John Mark. So Paul... Silas go this way, Barnabas, John Mark go this way. Paul did not want this young man to go with him, but Barnabas seen something in this young man. And so what happens with John Mark? What does he do? What does he do? What, what is so incredible, incredible about his conversion? He's the author of the book of Mark. He's the author of one of the four gospels. So Barnabas, if you ever want to think about what a spiritual leader looks like, I like to think of that guy. He's a gold standard. He sets the bar for everybody else. And we're watching this series, The Chosen, on um, two episodes every Thursday night. And you can see where Philip is becoming a spiritual father to Matthew uh, during the series. When my grandpa left, um, when I left Michigan, I, I left uh, just before my 21st birthday. And uh, I spent here traveling, and I didn't keep in contact with him the way I should have. And uh, I was busy. I was traveling, having a lot of fun. And um, I settled down in Sacramento, and I tried to call him up for a holiday or something. And, and uh, I called my aunt, because he hadn't been answering. And I um, said, so, you know, you should go check on Grandpa Williams. We haven't, um, I haven't been able to get through to him. And she says, Frankie, uh, your grandpa died two months ago. Didn't anybody tell you? And it always uh, broke my heart that I could never talk to him and tell him uh, what he meant to me. And so two points here that I'm trying to make is that if there's someone who's invested in you as a father would, don't wait until their funeral to let them know. And those of you today who've shared about your father, man, I appreciate you guys. If someone's guided you, invested in your faith, gotten you through a tough time, I encourage you, I challenge you to tell them. And the second point, we're gonna end with this, I encourage you and I challenge you, just as Jared reiterated, never miss an opportunity to be a Barnabas, never miss an opportunity to be a Philip. 
never miss an opportunity to be a father figure or Grandpa Williams or a Mr. D or a Mr. Cruel. Pray for those divine interactions and that they will be your fruit and part of your legacy. Happy Father's Day to everyone here. Thank you for asking me to speak. I'm grateful. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.